listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn your Bibles tonight to the 17th Psalm, Psalm 17. Uh, this is the last uh, message in these a series of messages on the experiential praying or personal praying. We looked at uh, various requests in the Psalms relating to me, the psalmist using that word me, uh, with regard to particular petitions. And so tonight we're going to finish in this uh, Psalm 17. We read from the verse number 1, uh, reading down through uh, to the verse uh, number 9. In Psalm 17, verse 1, a Psalm of David, Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvellous loving kindness, O thou that savest by the right hand them which put their trust in thee, from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. Amen. We'll end the reading there. Uh, may God be pleased to bless his word in our hearing uh, tonight. The text I want to really meditate uh, with you tonight is the verse number 8 of this 17th Psalm. Keep me as the apple of the eye. And it is that particular uh, clause they want to look at, but also the parallel is there. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. And what a precious prayer this is. Keep me as the apple of the eye. The apple of the eye. The word apple actually is a translation of uh, two words in the original. Uh, the word black and the word daughter. And so you'll, you'll see the thought of the eye. It is referring to the center of the eye, the pupil, the dark area in the middle of the eye. The word keep that is used here in the prayer, verse number 8, uh, is that word for protect or preserve. And we'll see its usage uh, translated in some of those ways uh, later on. The parallel, hide me under the shadow of thy wings, confirms the thought that the prayer here is a prayer for protection and for preservation. No part of the body is as protected as the eye. The eye is buried in the skull, thick frontal and orbital bones, protecting the tender structure of the eye. You think of the, the eyebrows, the eyelashes, the eyelids. Think about the reflex, whereby the eyelids close so quickly. Uh, don't forget the tear system, washing out any speck of dust, preserving the moisture over the pupil. All of these things, how, how well protected is the eye in the purpose of God? 
It's one of those times when we can look at natural revelation and take the matter of the eye and see well how it fits so well into this particular matter when it comes to this petition, keep me as the apple of the eye. It's a prayer for protection. It's a prayer of the Lord to protect and to preserve us as precious to him as being vulnerable and needy. That's what this prayer is dealing with. Well, in light of that, uh, let's begin to study this prayer uh, together. And so the first thing to notice as we look at this prayer of protection is that it is a prayer of faith. That's the first thing I want us to see together tonight, a prayer of faith. Keep me as the apple of the eye. You see, the psalmist here is praying over something he knows to be true. He's not asking for God's protection in some sort of speculative hope. He's not plugging an idea out of thin air and saying, well, I'm going to pray this now. He's praying this prayer in certain confidence. This prayer is a prayer that, that arises out of a heart of faith, out of convictions. Keep me as the apple of thine eye is coming, because he understands that to be true. He knows several things. I'm going to highlight three uh, that really undergird this faith. He knows, first of all, that the people of God are precious to the Lord. We talk of the eye being so well protected because it is such a precious organ. It's tender, it's gentle, but it's also very precious to uh, the person who has that eye. They want to preserve their sight. They know the importance and the value of it. And so the eye is precious. It's valuable. It's valuable in our earthly experience. And we know that we're precious to the Lord. In redemption, we're purchased by the blood of Christ. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God. Fundamentally, in our redemption, when you get to the New Testament, you see that our redemption is termed in our union with Christ. We're in Christ. And the Son is infinitely precious to the Father. And in Christ, we are eternally precious to God. All the times, think of all the times, read of the love of God for his people. But let me turn your attention to one particular text. It's back in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and verses number 9 and 10 here in the song of praise. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Now you think of how precious the land was to the people in their pilgrimage. They're heading to Canaan. They're going to, get, they're going to have their possession, their inheritance. Oh, well, here we already know the, the people of God. They're his portion. They're his expectation. And then you have in the verse number 10, after saying the Lord's portion is his people, it says, He found him, that is Jacob, the name being used for the people of God. He found him in a desert land. And in the waste, howling wilderness, he led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. So the Lord's action of preserving the people is in relationship to his love for the people, his, his, his desire that they would be his portion, they're precious to him. And so later on in Zechariah, when it comes to the Lord dealing with the afflictions of the people in the captivity, he says about the people, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Oh, we're precious to the Lord. We, we can pray this. 
keep me as the apple of the eye because we understand that as God's people, we are precious to him. We don't feel very precious sometimes. We feel our sins. We feel how far short we fall of God's standard of our lives. And we can struggle to hold on to that conviction. We're precious to the Lord. So how do you address that? You address that by remembering the fact you are not precious because of who you are. Jacob the deceiver is precious to God because God's electing love was put upon him. Jacob have I loved. And on all eternity God puts his love upon a people and they're precious to him. He loves them with an everlasting love. And so you've got to fight that fight of faith. You, you come to pray this prayer, keep me as the apple of the eye. You say, well, I, I'm not precious to God. No, you are. But not in yourself, but because of your union with Christ Jesus. Furthermore, we understand that in this battle of faith to pray this prayer, we know the Lord has promised to keep his people. The psalmist rehearses this theme repeatedly. The Lord promising to keep his people. Uh, let's look at some of those texts together. The Psalm 97. The Psalm 97 and the verse number 10. And what we'll see as we look at these uh, texts together, we will see that the Lord, he protects his people at all times in every trouble. Psalm 97, verse number 10. Ye that love the Lord hate evil, he preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Here's again this promise of preservation for those who are set apart by God. They're saints. You see that? They're saints. Their worth is in that God has set his love upon them and set them apart. They belong to him. Or you take uh, the Psalm 121, the most famous psalm, perhaps, that deals with this matter of being kept by God. The Psalm 121. And the verse number three, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. The same word being used there. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth even forevermore. We're preserved by God at all times, for all times, in every trouble, in every situation. That's the promise of God's. And by faith, we lay hold upon that promise. We pray Psalm 17, verse 8, because we say, God, you've said it. You've said you'll keep us, you'll preserve us, you'll protect us. Therefore, it's true. And therefore, I have a right to pray this prayer. Now, you turn over to the Psalm 145. In Psalm 145, the verse number 20, The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. Oh, we love the Lord because he first loved us. We see the love of Christ, the love of Christ that then purchases our redemption, whereby we come to love the Lord. Oh, we have the promise we love the Lord. The Lord preserves us. Or the Psalm 146, just the next Psalm across in the verse number 9, the Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. That's an interesting text. The promise here of preserving the strangers. Not just Jacob, but the promise of those who come into covenant fellowship with the Lord. The reference to the stranger here, of course, is the reference to those who will come into Israel as proselytes. They've taken God to be their gods. 
I read it from this morning in Second Chronicles chapter 6 in the prayer of Solomon for the temple. He says, Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but has come from a far country for thy great name's sake. They've come to trust in Jehovah, and they've come from a far country because they, they want to worship the one true living God. And Solomon prays that when they prayed towards the temple, upon the ground of sacrifice and blood, then he says, Then hear thou from the heavens. Hear their prayers. Take them, O Lord, as your own. And so in this reference in Psalm 146, we see the promise of preservation. There's a promise that's connected to the covenant, connected to bloods. And you see, the promise to keep us, to preserve us, and to protect us is oath-bound and is sealed with the blood of Christ. Oh, what a prayer this is. Keep me as the apple of the eye. And because we're precious to the Lord, because He's promised to keep us. And thirdly, because the Lord has proven Himself to be faithful in keeping His people. We have all the record of redemptive history, Old Testament, New Testament, and church history since, that proves the fact that the Lord has never lost a sheep. Never lost one of His sheep. He's never forsaken one of His own. Though many have strayed, the Lord restores them. Even Samson finds his name in the heroes of the faith. For all his determination, the Lord had his heart. And though his body ends up in rubble, his soul is safe in Christ Jesus. I think of Thomas Cranmer, the English reformer. He was imprisoned and condemned, along with Latimer and Ridley, by Bloody Mary for treason. Latimer and Ridley, they were executed immediately in Cranmer. Was, he was forced to watch their burning. And in early 1556, Cranmer gives way to pressure and he recants his Protestant faith and he submits to papal authority. He's watched his friends, his colleagues being burned to the stake and he, he turns back for a season. He, he recants his faith. Oh, he did that privately. And he was required to explain himself publicly in a pulpit in the University of Oxford. Was all lost? Did the Lord fail to keep Cranmer? No, he comes to that occasion and he publicly denounces his private recantations. He denies papal authority and he knew immediately he'd be executed. And he declared that he had punished the hands that originally signed the recantations by burning it first. The Lord had kept Cranmer. He was tied to the stake where his companions, Latimer and Ridley, had been burned just five months earlier. And fulfilling his words, he stuck his hand into the fire first, kept by the power of God through faith. The Lord keeps his own. He preserves his own. He does not lose his own. He's proven that throughout redemptive history. And so this prayer of faith is a prayer of faith that has tremendous foundations. The evidence of God's holding us as precious. The, the evidence of God's promises. And the proof of God's faithfulness. This is indeed a prayer of faith. It is also, in the second place, a prayer that arises out of fear. Now, I deliberate at using that term. Yes, it fitted my alliteration. And so you go, well, I wanted to have the F's there, and so fear comes to mind. Well, I'm not that carnal. I trust uh, you understand that in, in the preaching and the preparing of sermons. Uh, this word fear is deliberately used. 
But you say believers aren't meant to fear. And you get this idea, and sometimes preachers are guilty of this. They preach in such a way that people feel guilty of their natural fears. Things that cause us apprehension and concern. We are made by God to have this reflex of fearing those things that are dangerous to us. That's a God-given natural reflex. So when the Bible condemns fear, it does so in such a way that those who have that fear have succumbed to that fear, and fear has overwhelmed their faith. But what we're looking at tonight, we're looking at the fact that there is a fear that ought to provoke faith. That when we recognize certain things, then we are driven to trust in the Lord. There is an awareness and apprehension of certain things, rightly understood, that drives us to faith. The thoughts actually came from the words of a devotional by Smith on this text. He says this, Keep me, for I am exposed to enemies and storms. I am in danger from various quarters. I am weak and inexperienced as the newly-fledged bird. I fear I shall fall. I have no one whom I can repose but thee. Keep me as the apple of the eye, carefully, constantly, tenderly, graciously. Keep me so. So you have the sense of an awareness in the heart of a genuine believer who has this reality check in their souls. I fear I shall fall. I fear I shall come to naught. And so we're not looking at this in terms of fear that is really overwhelming our faith, but rather we are looking at a faith that will overwhelm our fears. And when those fears arise, we will take it to God in prayer, and we will come to God and say, keep me as the apple of the eye. It's, it's out of the fear in our souls that we then turn to God in this prayer. You see, like the pupil of the eye, we are vulnerable and require external defense. We should be aware of this. And hence there is an element of true, an element of true and proper fear. And so again, it's not fear like the disciples had in the boat. Save us, we perish. They're terrified in the boat, and the Lord rebukes them. Oh, ye have little faith. Their fear had overwhelmed their confidence in Christ. But praying this prayer, I believe, does imply an awareness of the danger. Look what he says in verse number 9. Keep me as the apple of the eye from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about there's an awareness of the danger. There's an awareness of the sense of vulnerability. We need the Lord. Naive Christians live oblivious of the troubles around them. Naive Christians live oblivious to the weakness of their hearts. And there are some very bold Christians externally. And their boldness is not from God. It's the boldness that comes from their naivety. They're not conscious of the dangers around them. They're not conscious of their own hearts. And so they come across as being, well, these are tremendously courageous and bold Christians, but they, they're not in prayer. They're not before gods. They're walking in the self-confidence of their own persons. And they're not aware of the dangers. We only will pray these sorts of prayers when we have a right and proper focus. When's the last time you prayed this prayer? Keep me, protect me, preserve me. 
If you are not praying this prayer continually through the day, then the danger may well be that you've succumbed to self-confidence and self-sufficiency. This is a real significant issue. We should be aware of the enemy. We have a real enemy. Christ, praise God, has defeated him upon the cross. Satan is a defeated foe. But his final overthrow still awaits, and he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he should devour. And that description is written to the church. That the church should be aware they have an enemy. Hence, we are given armor to wear. We are not in a playground, we're in the battlefield. And the battlefield denotes a sense of danger. Hence, we put the armor on, and we put it on with prayer. Keep me in the battle, preserve me, because the enemy is strong. Think of his ire. Think of his intent to destroy. Oh, the Lord will keep us. We believe that. But like in all things, God's sovereignty in keeping us comes alongside our responsibility to pray these prayers. We should be aware of the enmity of the world. We, we should see this. We do see this. The hatred in the world for God and for truth. How can we as Christians naively walk through this world without needing to pray this prayer, keep me as the apple of the eye? We should be aware of the apostasy of others. Iniquity is abounding. The love of many is waxing cold. All around us we see people falling away. Time and time again, there's these celebrity Christians and they're renouncing their faith. Is there not something in your soul that says, what about me? Could I follow suit? An awareness of our own weakness. We live day by day with an awareness of the tendency to faint in faith. Be conscious of these things. And when you're conscious of these things, it will drive you to pray this personal prayer. We need the Lord. And we pray this sort of prayer as we deal with these fears and rest in the Lord alone. So it is, it is a prayer of faith. It is a prayer that comes out of fear. And it is a prayer with a clear focus. The focus is on God's protecting him in the midst of his enemies. In the midst of his interaction in a fallen world, he's praying here for preservation and for protection. Now, in this psalm, he is praying for physical preservation, I believe. That's primarily his thought. There are those who are literal, physical enemies who are seeking to take his life. As we saw last time in this series, it is right and proper to pray for God to preserve our lives. That's an honorable prayer. Yet at the same time, we should not presume that when we die, God has failed to answer this prayer. Death is the portion of all mankind before Christ returns. And death is called an enemy. So therefore, in what sense does God keep us if the enemy of death takes our bodies? Has God failed to keep his promise? Well, well there are two things to consider in light of that. One, death has not defeated us. The body is in the grave temporarily. It's still safe in Christ, and it will be resurrected one day because Christ has defeated death. But at the same time, we also understand that what we see here in this prayer 
is a prayer for God to preserve and protect our souls, our interest in Christ, to protect our hearts. We read Psalm 121. Let me read to it again. The verse number, uh, the verse number seven: The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. But death is an evil. How, how can that be true? Well, he, says, he shall preserve thy soul. We are kept safe in Christ forevermore. I think of the, the way that the body protects the eye. And when we see very clear parallels between what the Lord does in our lives, we have those tears, the tears that keeps the eye from drying out. And God is pleased to grant us the moisture of the Word applied by the Spirit. That's a protection, isn't it? We come to the house of God. We, we come before the Word of God. And the Lord's applying moisture to our souls. There's, there's vitality given to our souls as the Word of God comes and nourishes us and protects us from drying out and shriveling out and being useless. God's doing that work of protection. We think of the eyelids, the eyelids that keep out things that cause harm to the eye. So God protects our souls. God allows nothing in our lives that would destroy our souls. That's really something worth thinking about. That though there are times when we may feel there are afflictions in our lives, they are there for our good, not for our ill. And there is nothing in our lives experience that God allows that would damage and destroy our souls. He keeps us. He keeps out those things that would destroy us and damage us and take us from Christ Jesus. You think of the eyebrows and the eyelashes, how they protect from the elements. God protects us in the midst of this sinful environment. All the sins around us. The pressure of living in a fallen world and yet we're kept by God. Oh, as the eye is so precious and so well protected and guarded, so we are precious to the Lord. And He will keep us. What a prayer this is. In this series, we've noticed many times the psalmist prays personally. And the consistent theme really is that it is difficult to live in a fallen world. But we who are bought by the blood of Christ, we have the confidence that when we come to God personally in prayer, He is pleased to hear our prayers. What an encouragement. The Lord does indeed attend unto our cries. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.